0: I'm Julie Richardson. I'm a paediatric intensivist at Belfast Children's Hospital and I have the pleasure of talking to you about the sick cardiac child today. I think um, for most of us when we're told that there is a child down in ED who has cyanotic heart disease we feel a bit like this. So absolute horror and terror comes into our hearts, um, even though we may not show it, unless you're actually a cardiologist. And even then I think think sometimes feel a bit nervous. So I'm gonna run through a few cases um, a few, a common scenario um, and a couple of more unusual cases at the moment um, and hopefully just build your confidence a little. So baby A, four week old, collapses, is apneic. The pH is 6.8, the CO2 is 8, the lactate is 5, the glucose is 2. So what are you thinking? Well, because I'm doing a cardiac talk, you're thinking this is likely to be a duct-dependent lesion, probably coarctation of the aorta. And in this case, you're absolutely right. And this is a picture just to remind you what that looks like. Typical presentation is about four weeks of age when the duct closes and then the baby's reliant on the aorta, which is fixed. However, babies do not come like with a label, they do not come saying I'm a cardiac baby, Um, they come collapsed and sick and there is a differential diagnosis. Many of you are really used to this uh, situation but it's really important and it's really important that you act quickly. The differential is sepsis, 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 obviously cardiac disease. It could be metabolic it could be surgical such as a, a volvulus or it could unfortunately sometimes be a non-accidental injury your history and your examination are really important in trying to break that down the fact that this child had a low sugar might put, push you in the direction of it being metabolic but also that happens in sepsis and unsick children you might on examination find that the pulses are weak again unfortunately that is found in sepsis um, and in just very sick children um, so it can be difficult um, although the books make it very clear it can be difficult clinical to work out what's going on so in terms of management you're going to do your abcs you're going to give some antibiotics you, in this particular child you're going to, do, to intubate them and and you're going to do that with care which we'll talk about in a little moment prior to intubation you're probably going to start some inotropes on this child and because we are deeply concerned this child might have a co- coarctation, you're going to start some prostaglandin. You may start that before you've got echo. Not all hospitals have an echo facility immediately. And it's better to treat soon and stop later. You can almost stop prostaglandin. So I'm now going to just talk to you a little bit about my general approach to the sick cardiac child that requires intubation. And I view it as a situation that is an impending disaster. The best approach, particularly with a cyanotic um, child with a complex heart, is to presume this child is likely to arrest on you. And the first question is always, do I really have to intubate them? And once that decision is made, you want the most senior person available with the most most knowledge. However, you also want to, to be timely and not delay unnecessarily. So in terms of this, like I would with any sick child, but particularly with a cyanotic heart disease child, you need to be prepared and you need to get organized. So you're going to draw up fluids You're going to prepare for an arrest. You're going to prepare your team for an arrest and delegate roles. Um, You may well start an inotrope, and I usually do before um, I intubate a child with cyanotic heart disease in particular, so I'm thinking about a hypoplast. Um, And I'm going to be fully prepared for a difficult um, intubation because of the cardiovascular status. In terms of the induction agents, I would usually use ketamine. Um, because it's cardiovascularly stable. However, in the very, very sick child, such as a hypoplast, I may not even use ketamine. I might use something like fentanyl. So enough to reduce the the, the catecholamines and allow me to place a tube, but not to to prevent an arrest. what you also have to remember, usually in, in a cardiac child, that their cardiac the reason you're intubating in them is because their cardiac output is poor and therefore all your drugs will take longer to act. So you need to be patient and give them time to work and pre- prepare for the worst. Magic adrenaline, something that I usually have in my pocket or push draws adrenaline. Um, I would absolutely always have this with with any sick child requiring intensive care but particularly so with a child with cardiac disease. Um, it's easy to make up, it's found, adrenaline's found in every ED um, and it's easy to give little tiny aliquots to keep you out of trouble. And hopefully if you prepare and you consider and you have your team all planned then the seas will be calm and you will have a straightforward intubation. So moving on to another scenario. Um, so We have a little baby come into ED who has double-outlet right ventricle, TGA, pulmonary stenosis and a small RV. If you're not a cardiologist, your heart is is racing and you're already worried because you're thinking, I don't even understand what that means um, and it sounds awfully complicated and I can't understand which way round the blood's going. The family tells you that they have a BT shunt um, which is 3.5 millimetres Um, and the kids had recent diarrhea and vomiting um, and has has just recovered from that. On examination, the heart rate is 190. They look blue around the the lips Um, and when the saturation monitoring is put on, it's 50%. When you listen in, you're not sure if you can hear a murmur or not. And as you will remember, um, shunts should have a really loud, continuous murmur and they're not subtle in any way. So what we're worried about here is, has this child actually got a blocked shunt? These days, presentation of a blocked shunt is really uncommon because we don't use them as frequently as we used to. Lots of children get full repairs rather than a staged repair. So we're not quite as used to um, seeing a blocked shunt. The most common time that that will happen is immediately post-op, so in the first couple of days when they're still in the intensive care, but the other time that this might happen is when they've become a bit dehydrated and got another illness. So it's something that you should think about um, in, your diagn- in your differential um, when you've got an unwell child and it's really important that you keep these children hydrated and don't restrict their fluids. So something like a stenotic pulmonary valve is the sort of lesion that may get a BT shunt these days. And again, just to remind you what a BT shunt does, it's just an artificial um, conduit from the the left subclavian artery to the left PA. So what do you do if there's a block shunt? Well, this is absolutely an emergency. So you're gonna give them some oxygen. You're gonna start preparing to intubate with all the cautions that we thought about. You are going to get an echo as soon as possible. However, echoes are not terribly good at picking up clots in shunts. Um, so even a negative echo might still not persuade you that you don't have a, a block shunt. You're going to give some volume. So you're gonna give alicots of five to 10 mils per kilo. You will give some phenylephrine of 10 to 30 mics per kilo. Phenylephrine, many of you will not be familiar with. Um, it's a very potent vasoconstrictor. Um, and it is very useful in this situation. You may start a little bit of inotrope um, such as dopamine or adrenaline but actually once you've got better access what you probably need is noradrenaline. This is all to increase your uh, systemic vascular resistance and try and persuade blood to go to the lungs. Once you are in the position of intubating this child you're going to sedate and paralyse them You're going to try and minimise the amount of PEEP. You're going to give them lots of oxygen as a potent um, pulmonary vasodilator. You're going to aim for alkalosis and also give them a little bit of magnesium to try and help and persuade any blood flow that is left to go to the lungs. Um, At this point, you're very much hoping that you don't have an entirely blocked shunt but a partially blocked shunt because otherwise none of this will potentially work depending on the anatomy. If you haven't done so already you should absolutely be contacting cardiology and paediatric intensive care at this point. They may well um, suggest that you should give a heparin bolus. This is usually at a dose of 50 units per kilo and may be repeated. Um, They may then suggest you start a heparin infusion in the order of 20 units per kilo per hour. Again in the child that the shunt has been in situ for many weeks to months this is unlikely to change uh, the situation but may prevent propagation of clot. If this is a little tiny baby in neonatal age who has still got a duct open um, or has potential for an open duct you might actually be advised to start a little bit of prostaglandin again to persuade some blood to go to the lungs. Ultimately however this child needs, um, if there's no improvement, Um, or minimal uh, improvement, this child needs to be in definitive care centre and needs either a catheter urgently or surgery. Very occasionally TPA has been used um, successfully. So it's really important that you you identify the problem, you act quickly, um, stabilize the child and speak to the specialist and get this child to the right place at the right time or else there'll be a real disaster and since shunts are so uncommon these days it's it's not something that you would necessarily think about straight away. When you've got a blocked shunt it's an absolute emergency and you're going to use your ABC approach. You're going to intubate early with the caution and preparation that I spoke to you about earlier. You're going to increase the SVR using your fluid bolus, phenylephrine and then an infusion of noradrenaline. You're going to decrease your PVR using sedation and paralysis, you're going to aim for alkalosis and you're going to use high oxygen. At that point you're also going to attempt to stop propagation of the clot or unlikely to be able to remove the clot but use a heparin bolus, heparin infusion but ultimately you need to be in a surgical centre because this child may well need surgery um, and a new shunt. So moving on I am going to talk about yet another scenario which it um, used to be very, very common and I spent most of my SHO, SHO days running to cardiology to deal with this. But again, it's something that's really uncommon these days. So, baby C has tetralogy of fallow. They've come into ED with poor feeding. They're having intermittent blue episodes, particularly bad when they cry or actually when they poo. Their SATs at the moment are 65% when you measure them. And when you listen in, there's some wheezing and auscultation, and you can't hear a murmur. So what we're talking about here, um, and just to remind you about those of you that are not, can't quite remember tetralogy of Fallot. So you've got a stenotic pulmonary valve, um, you've got a VSD, because of that you've got a very thickened right uh, ventricle, and you've got an overriding aorta. And the problem here is when there's a change in PVR and SVR suddenly you have less flow to the lungs. So a bit like the situation we talked about before. So what we have here is a spelling child and spelling always made me think of something magical and wonderful Um, unfortunately it can be life threatening and not at all magical and otherwise known as a hypercyanotic episode. So the first thing to do is keep calm and get prepared So the first thing you're going to do is soothe this child. So put the baby in the mum's arms, get it cuddled, get it calm. Because if it's crying and cross, you're you're going to struggle to get blood to the lungs. The next thing you're going to do that hasn't worked is to bring the knees up to the chest, lying the baby on their back and that decreases, increases the SBR. Then you're going to give some oxygen if they'll put up with it. And then you're going to give some morphine. Now, if you don't have IV access, it's suggested you should give um, IM morphine because obviously attaining IV access is going to distress the child initially, um, and IM might, is quicker. If your child still got SATs in the 60s or, or less, then you need to move on to the next stage. So you're gonna keep calm and carry on. So at this point, if you haven't already, you're gonna call your cardiologist in intensive care you're going to be thinking about getting access. If you haven't already, you're going to give a fluid bolus of 10 mils per kilo and repeat that. You may give a dose of oral propranolol, which again can be repeated 15 to 20 minutes later, or you may be suggested to give an IV dose. Again phenylephrine can be very useful in this situation and again the dose of 10 to 30 mics per kilo in little aliquots to see if you get a response and your aim here is to try and improve saturations and break the cycle. At any of these points the child might suddenly um, look much pinker, look much happier um, and you don't need to then proceed with the next step. However if all of this has failed to work, then you're in real trouble. So you've got a child who's having a very prolonged spell, remaining very blue, the infundibular spasm hasn't relaxed and you're struggling to get blood to the lungs. At this point, you may consider intubation and ventilation. You want to increase SVR, so you're going to run some noradrenaline. And this child, honestly, at this point, may well need an emergency shunt so at that point, you need again to be in a place which can perform cardiac surgery and as soon as possible, in the meantime, giving supportive care. And then the very last child in the situation I'm going to talk very briefly about is the child who comes into ED at age 13. They've recently had an upper respiratory tract infection. They've had a high temperature. They generally just haven't recovered from that. They're, lethargic and not themselves. They've also complained intermittently of mild abdominal pain. Her heart rate is 160 and they have a few scattered crepes on auscultation. So as you will note the heart rate is high and there's some scattered crepes. Recent chest infection you would wouldn't be, uh, you're probably thinking about pneumonia or um, our, our lower respiratory tract infection, but as I'm doing a cardiac talk, you know I'm probably not going down that line. Um, and I wish patients could just tell you what's wrong with them sometimes. So this child actually turns out to have a myocarditis, and the clues were the, the persistent tachycardia. When you do a chest X-ray, it doesn't show the pneumonia that you were expecting, but it actually shows really quite a large heart. If you're clever and been thinking ha- ahead and thinking potentially about a heart, you may have done a pr- troponin, which will be high. The ECG, when you do it, may show um, some arrhythmias, it may show some ST elevation, it may show some right ventricular, left ventricular hypertrophy. And When you do an echo, you've got um, perhaps a, a cardiomyopathy, a slightly dilated heart. terms of myocarditis, I'm not going to go into the details of treatment. It's generally supportive. Um, Many of them will manage um, without needing paediatric intensive care, but the main point of bringing this up at at this point is actually to consider it in your differential diagnosis. Most children who have um, myocarditis initially are treated as a pneumonia or an asthmatic in the first instance, and then it's only due to failure to get better or uh, failure of treatment or deterioration that suddenly the heart is thought about. So it's uncommon. The most common virus that causes it is enterovirus. In our population it's usually a virus but it's also important to think about in a child who has had oncological therapy. Treatment is supportive, diuretics are important, immunoglobulins can be ha- helpful as Kazan as can anticoagulation, and the very worst group of children may need paediatric intensive care support and potentially um, mechanical support for the heart or even transplant. But we're very lucky because many, many children get better in the, the next two to three weeks. However, it's very difficult to predict which ones will get better and which won't. In terms of everything I was going to say today, that is it. My main aim of this talk is to say remember to think about cardiac, particularly in a child who isn't getting better, particularly this winter when you've got that host of bronchiolitis bronchiolitis coming through the door. In amongst all of those, one of them will have an undiagnosed VSD and actually be in heart failure. So if you've got a child who's not very well who is getting worse and not following quite the path you thought just always think especially when you're you're thinking do they need paediatric intensive care just always think have i got the right diagnosis and the children with cyanotic heart disease think about well do they have a shunt could it be blocked and the fallows child know about spelling fallows um, and obviously the collapsed neonate there's a big di- uh, differential diagnosis and um cardiac is one of those. So be prepared, prepare for the worse, drop your drugs, think about what you need to do, prepare your team, discuss early with the tertiary centre, cardiology and paediatric intensive care and get the patient to the right place. There's no point in being in a centre that can't actually get, um, repair your shunt or do what you actually need. Um, the medicine sometimes fails and what you actually need is a surgeon. Thank you very much.